navigating a transition requires just being willing to feel a lot and not trying to stop the tears, not trying to stop it too soon. Welcome back. You're listening to Let It Out with me, your host, Katie Delbout. Today's episode, I have Sarah Avonstover. She's an author of two books, one that I read several years ago and really had an impact on me, The Way of the Happy Woman. We talk about grief and loss and love and abortion support. We talk about friendship. It's a really vulnerable episode. I share a lot about what was going on with me the day that we recorded this, which was just a couple weeks ago. And Sarah is in a transition of sorts and has experienced a lot of grief. It's a it's a heavy one and an interesting one. I, I think you guys will like it. So I want to get to that as quickly as possible. Thank you guys so much for listening and enjoy my episode with Sarah. I'll talk to you guys at the end for, you know, a little bit of extra chat, some likes and learns. Today's episode is brought to you in part by Cured Nutrition, which is a holistic supplement company based in Boulder, Colorado, which is actually where today's guest used to be. Anyway, they're an organic hemp-derived CBD product line that you might already be familiar with, but they make full-spectrum nibbles and tinctures and treats that work with your body's natural system to produce clear benefits without the worry of a psychoactive component. They are one of the best companies that makes CBD. I really, really think I love the people who make it. They have a farm to table business model and CBD is most commonly incorporated into wellness regimens to improve sleep and decrease inflammation and stress on the body. And the founder of this company actually started using the raw oil to help his puppy who was having really intense stress and anxiety and seizures. So these are products that work for your furry friends too. They have this cookie dough snack that I particularly love. And I just, I really love this company. And I think if you haven't checked out CBD yet, I think that you would really like this company and you can get a discount. When you use the code, let it out. It's good for 15% off your order. Again, that's let it out for 15% off your order. Thank you so much, Cured. A previous podcast guest of mine and friend of mine suggested me to check out your work years ago, L. Griffin. And I read your book, The Way of the Happy Woman, and I loved it. And I had you kind of in the back of my mind to come on the podcast. And then I think you reached out this fall and I was like, yeah, let's do it. Let's make it happen. So I'm glad we're doing it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's nice to connect with you. Yeah. Thanks. What's on your mind today? What have you been realizing or contemplating? What have you been working on recently? I'm working on my next book, my third book. 
And that's what I've been doing all day until meeting with you. And a big chunk of it is about grief. And what I've been feeling in my own life yesterday was the three-year anniversary since I got really knocked out of life by grief. And I still haven't, I still haven't stepped into my new life again. Mm. I'm still in this liminal space where who I was before the life that I had before is gone and the next life is not here yet. And what I'm noticing is that a lot of people are in this space. And I think that more of us are waking up to the transformative process of grief and heartbreak, both individually and collectively, because there's a lot of collective heartbreak right now. And it's asking for us to make more space for it because we've really become a death phobic society and that's not natural. (laughs) Life is complete because we die. We can't consider a life or even a relationship or even a season of life without also considering the death of that. And there's a way that death is just asking for us to bring it back into the fold of our daily awareness. So that's what I'm that's what I'm going into right now and I think I'm even thinking about women's circles and how grief is absent in women's circles and why is that you know because grief is a part of our lives how can we welcome it in how can we give it a seat at the table how can we uh, be less afraid of it yeah wow this is really timely so last it's funny i haven't really done any interviews i haven't really been even working at all really in the last couple of weeks because this January my grandpa died and I broke up with my boyfriend the same week and I've just been in this feeling so many feel it's really my first heartbreak and the first time I've I when I broke up with my I haven't really had that many relationships but my previous boyfriend to him I was really ready and it was jarring and different but it didn't feel painful like this. And this is like nothing else I've ever experienced. And I can tell there's so much richness to it. And I can tell that maybe I'll make art about this. And I know I'm feeling feelings about it, but it doesn't make it less annoying. And like you said, it's something that we don't really talk about all this, this grief and this heartbreak. And it, it's now been three weeks and I woke up the other day and I was like, I should be more okay right now. Or I it was okay to be so vulnerable with people and cry, you know, everywhere basically around this city for the first three weeks. But now I like have to get back to work and I need to do interviews and I need to be okay. So see, that's, that's the problem right there. Yeah. T- tell me everything. <laughs> I mean, that is, that is so the problem because acute grief, which is the grief that comes on after loss, whether it's a death or or breakup or, you know, these serial heartbreaks, which was definitely my case. It was several things back to back. It takes three to six months to move through acute grief. And we need to at least allow for that amount of time. (laughs) 
And really in ancient cultures that understood the transformative and rejuvenative powers of grief, particularly in West Africa, individuals were given space for a year to not work, to really go into the feelings of sadness, of rage, of depression, of despair, of all of the things that come up when one is grieving, and to not have to just soldier on, you know, and chin up and look on the bright side. And that's that looking on the bright side is really the dark side of our culture. It's it's hurtful for us to move on from loss too quickly. Yeah. So I'm assuming this is what your book explores, but how have you done this? And how do you, in the world that we live in, like I wish I lived in that culture where I could have the year for rage and crying. And luckily I have such a flexible, I know I'm so privileged to have the work situation that I do that I was able to really lean in these last three weeks. But what did you do during your grief and what do you outline in the book or what are you exploring? Well, like you, I'm also self-employed and that's that's a blessing and it's also challenging because you know, you still, yeah, at a certain point, like you still need to show up and do the podcast interviews and do whatever you need to do to keep paying the bills. But there is more flexibility in terms of being able to spend the day in bed if you need to. But what I did and have done is to really study grief and to listen to people who have walked with grief well, to read books about grief. There's a really beautiful book, two beautiful books. One is Francis Weller, The Wild Edge of Sorrow. Another one is Martine Prechtel. I'm forgetting the name of it, but it's about grief. There's a great documentary called Grief Walker that really explores these concepts. It's on Amazon Prime Video. If you have that, you can watch it for free on there, but I'm sure it's available in other places as well. So to start to tell ourselves a different story about it, and I think once we get educated and have a different way of looking at heartbreak and its usefulness, then we'll start to make more space for it and not try to rush back into the next thing. So yes, even if you need to keep putting one foot in front of the other to get back to work and such, it's also just taking the time to really feel those feelings. Something that I did a lot and I did yesterday, actually, is when I feel hard, strong feelings coming up, whether it's sadness or anxiety. And I notice myself leaning towards what 12-step programs called bottom line behaviors. And I'm not an addict. I'm not in 12-step programs. I've just been close to people who have had addictions. And I really respect the 12-step programs. But we identify what these bottom line behaviors are for us, like the things that we do that we reach for that are not healthy for us. Coping mechanisms. Coping mechanisms when we're in pain. And it might just be you start spending too much time on the internet. That's that's one of my things. Like I notice that I'm just numbing out. And when you can catch yourself leaning towards those things, it's just 
one thing I do is just like, I just get into bed, even if it's the middle of the day. I just lay in bed, I put a blanket over me and I just, I know that there's stuff there for me to feel. Mm. And I just lay down and just go into the feeling. And yesterday it was anxiety. I recently moved to a new state, to California, like a few weeks ago. And it's an intense, even though it's really where I want to be, you know, moving and starting one's life over is not an easy thing by any means. Yeah, it's messy. And like I had a lot of anxiety and I just laid down and just went into the anxiety instead of trying to run from it. And the anxiety turned into tears. And then the tears eventually turn into a relaxation. And I think that requires grieving well, navigating a transition requires just being willing to feel a lot and not trying to stop the tears, not trying to stop it too soon. Yeah, that's so helpful. I I found that with this, I've been thinking so much in reading this book called Letting Go by Dr. David Hawkins about... And he talks about repressing feelings and suppressing feelings and the difference and expressing feelings. And I've been talking about this with my therapist and with basically everyone who will listen about, am I feeling things fully? Like I, in the past, I think a feeling has come up, but it's gotten stuck somewhere in my body because I've just, I've turned to food or controlling food, or I've turned to my phone or work or a relationship. And I now, you know, I'm forced to either face myself or turn to those coping mechanisms. And sometimes coping mechanisms are okay. You know, I can't emote or go lay down if I'm like on the subway, I need to just, you know, get to where I need to go. But eventually you're going to have to solve instead of cope and you're going to have to let the feeling pass through you. And I've been kind of obsessed with like, well, am I feeling it fully? Like, it's not like snot where you like blow your nose and then all the snot's out. And it doesn't mean you're not going to have more snot, but like you got all of it for right then. It's kind of hard to tell with feelings. So my question is then when you, when you lay down with that anxiety, did you really feel it pass? And did you feel better after you cried? And, and did you get up and like, do more unpacking in the rest of your day or how did what happened next? Yeah, it's it's waves. You know, like there's no bottom to feeling. <laughs> it just it never ends, but that was that was a wave. And then I knew like, okay, it's time for me to get up now and and do some writing. You know, like now I'm I'm present and I can I can go back to to doing something. So it's not it's not for me, it's not about finding the bottom. But what I've also found is that when we are in these times of heartbreak or grief, something that also happens is that a lot of old hurts, both from our childhood, from our infancy, even in utero, hurts that we've inherited ancestrally through generations come up for us to heal. And I know that that's a big part of what my healing process has been these past few years, that it's not just a sadness or an anxiety or a grief about these several things that have occurred in my life. And those were definitely things to process, but it's also a lot of past hurts that I didn't have the capacity to be with. 
and things in my family line that I've seen my family hasn't had the capacity to be with. Like there's been no space for grief in my family. And that's something that we also need to take in consideration that a lot of the things that we're feeling are not just ours. It's funny, this whole situation brought up through, as you know, you know, relationships are are such a mirror for reflecting where areas you need to grow and change. And I had this interesting experience of, I was in a long distance relationship with my boyfriend. He was in Michigan and I'm here. And I was home for my grandpa's funeral when this was all sort of unfolding. And so I was in this interesting container of being around my mom much more than I normally am. And I saw it was very uncomfortable, but all of my, many of the neuroses and interesting things that I've picked up that I don't like, or I want to pivot or change, I saw and ultimately were related in the end of this relationship, I saw where I got them from and I had compassion, but I also realized that I want to work on my relationship with my mom and I want to work on changing some of these habits that, that she's picked up from society and from like, one of them is just over apologizing and, and not feeling comfortable as ourselves, as, as women. And I saw where I picked that up and I saw that it annoyed my boyfriend and made him feel like I wasn't close to him. And I realized that that's a big pattern that I need to reprogram. And when I'm saying, sorry, I'm really saying, tell me I'm okay. You know? Yeah. So I relate to to that so much. Can you go into, and it's okay if, if you can't, or if, if it's for the book, but what were some of the heartbreak and some of the grief that you experienced? Sure. I wrote about many of them on my blog, if anyone ever wants to read the longer stories. But the first one was three years ago, the man that I was engaged to came home from work one evening while I was making dinner and told me that he'd been cheating on me for the past few years. Mm. And I was just completely shocked. I just, yeah. <laughs> and I, I slowly learned that, that it, there were many women and that was a really challenging experience for me to have thought that I was living one life when something else was going on and to have thought that I was living a conscious life and that I was aware of my surroundings and that I was safe to really open myself to another person. And several months after that, I got into a relationship with a man who ended up having a similar personality structure. And I don't know if you've watched the TV series, Dirty John, or listened to that podcast series. I haven't, but I've heard about it. I know the gist. Yeah, I, I had a similar experience in this this short-lived relationship that I had with a man. And unfortunately, I think there's many of that kind of personality type on online dating apps, which was what I started using when I wanted to get back into the dating world. And 
and really meet my next partner. And I ended up accidentally getting pregnant. I'd never been pregnant in my life. And I also very much wanted to be and still want to be a mother. And after I was pregnant, I really saw, I found out through a series of events who this man really was in a really bad way, who this man was. And I explored, could I get full custody of this child? And he would not give me full custody. And just given the paternity laws in Colorado, where it's automatically the father gets 50% custody, even if you're not married, even if his name's not on the birth certificate. I really realized that the only sane choice for myself and this child was to have an abortion and also listened in to what the soul of this child was wanting. And in the 11th hour, really got the message from this child that it was not meant to be born. And I had an abortion almost two years ago now, uh, like a year and nine months ago. And I mean, I thought that I was at rock bottom before with the end of that other relationship, but that abortion just completely, I mean, I, I know that the truth of who we are can never be broken, but the human part of me uh, just broke. Mm. And I just, I was so, it's still hard for me to wrap my mind around like, how did all of this happen? <laughs> Who was I being to step into these situations? Again, when I thought that I was a conscious person and several other things, a couple of professional betrayals, one that was very intense, a parent having cancer, going through cancer treatment. And this abortion piece really and that was why I originally reached out to you, Katie, is, is that I realized afterwards that I really need to speak out about abortion. And after letting about a year and a quarter pass after my abortion, I came out and I shared my story because I realized that there's such a lack of support for women who have had abortions. There's such a deep stigma. That stigma is perpetuated through silence, through secrecy. And while some women have a very clear and easy decision about their abortion, a lot of women do not. And that was, that was certainly the case for me. I felt like I was in a lose-lose situation. <laughs> if I move forward with that pregnancy, I would be signed up for a life that did not feel like mine. And signing a child up for a life that I knew was not healthy for the child, given all that I know about psychology and, and child development. And we really need to create spaces where women can talk about their abortions, uh, the complexities of the feelings that come up after abortion, the relief, the shame, the guilt, all of it, the rage, the denial, <laughs> and to have these conversations out loud. Because uh, after my abortion, I looked around and I, I just longed to, to go be able to sit in a circle with other women who'd been through something similar and just to be real with each other. And I couldn't find a single place where I could do that. 
And that's really sad given that one in four women, those are the statistics in the US and the UK. I'm sure that it's probably even more than that because I think abortions are underreported, certainly in other parts of the world they are. So I really feel like I want to bring out these conversations about these darker aspects of our womanhood that we're not addressing. Yes, there's a lot of things that we are bringing to the light and still there's so much more. And, you know, I don't know why my life has taken these turns these past few years, but I just know that all that I can do is to keep learning from my experiences and to keep sharing what I'm learning to support others. Mm. Because I think that our suffering really gives us x-ray vision into the suffering of others. Yeah, for sure. I'm so sorry that you've had to deal with all of that. And I'm so grateful that you've made art about it and you've made helpful resources for women about it. And I'm sorry you had to go through it, but it really is very cool that I know on your website, you have a resource for women healing after abortion. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So I was guided by my unborn child to speak out about this, to share my story, and also to create something called Redemption Circle, which is a movement that any woman is welcome to join or man, because men are, you know, experience abortions as well in different ways, to share stories, just to come out and say, I had an abortion, (laughs) whether it's to a large audience or just to the audience of one close friend or family member. And then to create these circles, these redemption circles, where we can start to work through all the layers. Because when we've had an abortion, it's not just that we've lost a child, but it's also all that we take on, take on from the cultural stigmas around us. I realized that that was even perhaps the biggest piece. So I led the first redemption circle. It was a 40-day course in the fall. And I'll be doing another one later this year. And I'm also looking to do some in-person ones in Southern California later this year as well. It's such a light with something that was so dark and so hard for you. And this, what you were saying before, of you don't know why you had to go through all of these things back to back. And, but it, it's great that you, you made such art and my, or made such a resource and another previous podcast guest and a mentor of mine and a friend of mine, Lacey Phillips says this thing. And I was just talking to her today about my breakup and just kind of where I'm at. And she says that, and maybe this will be a gift to you too. And it sounds like you're already, this is already happening for you with the move. And I'm really excited to hear where you are now with all this. But she says that we're most magnetic after something we hit what she calls like a magic dark or a bottom like this. You know, we really can rise back up and learn so much and teach so much when we're ready, like you've done do you feel like that's happening for you? You moved recently to Ojai. Where are you now with with your healing and your grief? 
I think I also turned 40 last year. And I think 40 was also a big, a big turning point for me in not settling in my life. Because I realized that, you know, one of the reasons why I got into those relationships was because I was settling. And I was really, while I'm developed in in a lot of areas of my life, I think relationships with men, I have been underdeveloped. I've been operating more like a little girl. And that relates to old childhood patterns and all that stuff. I'm aware of it, but it's one thing to be aware of it. And it's another thing to really reprogram ourselves. That, that's really intense work, which I thought I was doing. <laughs> I, thought I, was, I thought I was doing that, but there, there were even deeper, deeper layers um, that I've been unearthing. So it's, it's really been a time of getting honest with myself and clearing out a lot of friendships, clearing out a lot of activities for my life, clearing a lot of things out professionally, leaving Colorado. Um, I actually moved to Santa Barbara. I'm just in OI right now while I'm talking to you, but my heart has wanted to be in Santa Barbara for a long time. And finally, you know, I felt ready. It's like, yes, I'm just going to follow my heart, even if it's scary. Because so many of us just stay with where we are, even if it doesn't feel right, because we're afraid of the unknown. And I feel, you know, while this passage has been very dark, very hard, I have so much respect for myself because I'm being true to myself and I know that I can handle anything. And before I didn't know that, before there was a neediness in me, a doubt in my capacity. And I think that we need to go through these dark periods. And yes, grief is a very solitary experience to really discover something truer and deeper about ourselves. And I also have felt like I've only just scratched the surface of my career of what I'm really here to share with the world. And I'm excited to see what more there is for me. I feel like I'm getting closer to that. Yeah. What are some of your self-care and healing? You said you cut out some activities. What were those and what did you add back in? What are your habits and routines that are helping you through grief and post-breakup? And what is helping you that you would recommend? There's been so many things. The current things that are really giving me strength is I've really taken on A Course in Miracles in a serious way, become a real serious student of A Course in Miracles. That has given me tremendous strength. I really recommend that. It's a, it's a real deep reprogramming of our subconscious mind. I just realized how addicted I am to fear. So A Course in Miracles and sleep <laughs> sleep is 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 a huge uh, self-care practice i've also become a really dedicated student of the meditation modality taught by dr joe dispenza and the work that he lays out bringing together epigenetics and neuroscience uh, it's really fascinating work and it's 
I think it's really important to know that we haven't, there's so much about the human spirit and the human being that we haven't even tapped into yet. And what we see with our physical senses is just the tip of the iceberg. So that those are the main things right now. Of course, in Miracles, Dr. Joe Dispenza, good sleep. I'm also doing a writing practice, proprioceptive writing. And there's a book about this called Writing the Mind Alive. And it's a, you set a timer for 25 minutes. You're supposed to listen to Baroque music, but I've been listening to different forms of music than that. I like listening to Ultimate Ohm to bring in those healing vibrations into the body. And you, you write stream of consciousness to see like what's, what's alive for me right now as a way of engaging with a deeper, truer part of oneself. Cause I really want to stay close to the pulse of my soul and my truth as I'm creating a new life for myself and not to get swept away on detours or wrong directions. Cool. It sounds like you have some really great boundaries and you mentioned that you're just scratching the surface of what you want to do and create in your work. So how are you so productive and prolific while still taking care of yourself? Are there any other apps or routines or boundaries? You mentioned you cut some things out of your life and you know how do you handle your relationship with social media or the internet or, or your phone? That is a really long conversation, but I can say that there's a new book out that I think really reflects a lot of my feelings around technology and my phone and social media. It's Cal Newport's Digital Minimalism. And it, it really leads you through this process of exploring what your values are and then deciding how you want to engage with technology based upon your values. Like how can you use social media? How can you use different apps to further your values? So for me, I realized that I really need to let go of following the trends on social media or looking to have a lot of followers or looking to have a lot of likes. I just decided I don't want to walk around with my phone on all day recording things. To me, that's just for my values and my quality of life that just goes against (laughs) creating health and harmony and happiness. And so it's just letting go of those things and saying, well, I'm using social media to when I have an announcement I want to make about a new program or a new event, when I, I want to share teachings from my books, from my courses, I'll use social media for those things. And that's it. <laughs> and if, you know, if I only have a few followers, if I only have a few likes, that's fine. Uh, but I'm just not going to engage with it much. So I think it just, for me, it's about just really stepping back and remembering that I can do things my way in terms of whether that's how I use social media, how I run my company, how I live my day, how I live my life. I, I don't like to spend a lot of time online. I like to really make time for the things that matter to me. So the mornings, I spend a lot of time in practice, like a few hours in the morning. 
And then I go right into writing and I don't do anything until I've done those things because those are the things that matter the most to me. What are your morning and evening routines? Like the first three things you do when you wake up in the morning and the last three things you do in the evening? First thing when I wake up in the morning is I pray and I ask God to use me and I send love into the day, into the people that I'm going to interact with, my team, the women in my programs, the people I'm going to meet with that day. And then I get up and I do about an hour of meditation. And then I do a yoga practice or I do a workout depending upon what feels right for me. Then I do my studies with A Course in Miracles. And that's how I start my morning. And in the evening, I usually take a bath. I always bathe in the evening, usually a bath. Sometimes if I am really tired, I'll just jump in the shower, but usually a bath. And I will review my day in my mind, like an observer to really see who was I being? What were the thoughts I was thinking? What was I feeling? What did I learn today? What was my high? What what was my low? And to really think ahead to the next day, like, who do I want to be tomorrow? How do I want to start my day? How do I want to live that day? And I do that. And if there's anything I need to hand over to God, things that I am worried about, things that I feel stuck with, I spend some time praying and just connecting to God. And then I go to sleep. I love that. That sounds lovely. Sorry for the interruption in this episode, but I just want to quickly tell you about Let a Podcast Out. If you want to host, produce, or make a podcast, a DIY podcast, so this is something alongside of a full-time job or as a side project, not talking NPR or Gimlet, something like what I've done, Let a Podcast Out might be something for you. It's a workshop I pulled everything that I've learned into about podcasting from marketing and hosting and producing and interviewing. And then I also interviewed over a dozen other podcasters about what they do and they completely opened up the kimono and shared. So if you want to know more about that, you can take a tour of the course and get the first two modules and just do them right now. That's at letapodcastout.club slash tour will get you right to that and the links in the show notes and if you have any questions at all email me email me please I would love to hear from you listen I love wearing stretchy pants and you probably do too there are so many choices out there and a lot of them can be really pricey that's why I'm very excited to partner with a company founded by actress Kate Hudson called Fabletics. They're on a mission to help empower women by making a active lifestyle accessible to everyone. And they do this with their exceptionally low price point. And they're really cute too. They're really great. They're great quality. Honestly, I was a little bit nervous that with the price point being so low that the quality would be terrible or the fit would be bad. But honestly, 
These pants fit better than any other yoga pant or Pilates pant or long underwear. That's what I've been wearing them as in the cold underneath another pair of pants. And they're so comfortable. They hug you in like all the right places. They're they're great. I really, really enjoy them a lot. They are your one-stop shop for affordable activewear. All of their designs are created in-house. And like I said, I was skeptical with this low price point, but the quality genuinely is great. Amanda and Megan also have a couple of pairs of these pants and love them. They work with me. And I'm actually wearing a pair right now. I love their high-waisted ones. I have this high-waisted green pair that's really great for wearing under like a slouchy pair of jeans or pants. It's great to layer in. And anyway, before I forget, Fabletics is offering you, our listeners, an incredible deal you don't want to miss. You can get two pairs of leggings for only $24. That's a $99 value when you sign up for becoming a VIP. You can just go to fabletics.com slash let it out to take advantage of this deal. That's fabletics.com slash let it out to get your two pairs of leggings for $24. Also, you can get free shipping on orders over $49 and international shipping is available. There's absolutely no commitment on your first order. It's it's really great. I, I actually really genuinely love these pants and the workout tops. They're, the people who work there are really nice, actually. I got to talk to them. If you've never tried Fabletics, I highly recommend starting at their collections page so you can get an idea of some of the trending pieces. And they're always adding new styles and new prints every single month. So check it out. Like I said, there's no commitment, but you can get 50% off off of regular pricing if you are part of their VIP program, but you don't even have to do that. Check them all out. All you have to go to is fabletics.com slash let it out to take advantage of this now. That's fabletics.com slash let it out to get two pairs of leggings for $24. And again, be part of the no commitment, no monthly purchase minimum, nothing like that but you can get free shipping if your orders are over $49. So check them out. I think you'll really like them. And thank you, Fabletics, for sponsoring. I want to go back and talk a little bit about your earlier work and just back in general. What were you like as a kid? Were you always a creative person? What was your relationship with your family like? Yeah, I've always loved creativity. And I grew up in, I was born in New York City. And then my family moved out to the suburbs in Connecticut, just outside of New York City. I'm the second oldest of four girls. And my sisters and I are very close together in age. And we grew up Catholic. And I loved Catholicism until I was a teenager and I started to realize the dark side of Catholicism. But the bright side of that was that I always had a real connection with God and with Jesus and with Mother Mary. And in my free time, I would read the children's Bible and I would pray. And I I just had a like a strong passion for spirituality as a young girl. And also a passion for art. I have been a dancer since I was the age of three. I used to just choreograph dances in my free time. And I would play the piano and record songs on the piano and dance to them and write poetry. And I was always looking for 
just new ways to do things. If we had a school book fair or science fair, I always loved creating things in those regards. So yeah, the threads of who I am now go back to my early days as well. Where are you with God, spirituality? What do you think happens when we die? All of that now. God is my number one relationship, my number one priority in life. And I seek to find God in everything and everyone. And I do believe that we are just spiritual beings having a human experience (laughs) that our souls have experienced everything there is to experience since we separated from that singularity from God. And I know that everything that I'm experiencing now, everything that you're experiencing now are things that our soul has asked for. And that this lifetime is just one page in the book of a soul's journey. So the more that I can see my life and other people's lives in this time in history from that perspective, I think the more courage I have, the more levity I have. And the more committed I am to mastery, you know, just mastering more of this, of the inner technology that we're all born with, that that we hold the key to freedom within us. And we just need to learn how to, how to turn that key and to remember that it's inside of us and it takes practice. It takes time every day sitting down calming our bodies down and being willing to keep showing up and trying over and over and over again to just open our hearts and to remember that we're the dreamers of this dream. Do you still consider yourself Catholic? I know you studied yoga and many different traditions and religions and and years after college where are you now with with religion and spirituality? I'm really multi multidisciplinary when it comes to religion. Uh, yes, I've studied yoga extensively for about twenty five years now, and Buddhism extensively for twenty years. And I also had a homecoming with my Catholicism about a little bit over ten years ago. So I, you know, if I'm in a place that has a beautiful church or a beautiful mass, I'll go and I'll still take communion. And I feel a lot of peace with that. So I feel, I feel very fluid in terms of my, my spirituality. What about your relationship to your family and greatest lesson on, on family? I know you were with them, like you said, in, in Chicago earlier this year, do you guys have any routines or what yeah what would you say on like greatest lesson on on family as an adult I really love my family I have a lot of appreciation for them and I think for me the biggest thing is just to keep showing up especially as we get older and my sisters and I are all spread out in different parts of the country now and just to keep showing up for these relationships and letting each person be who they are and me having the courage to be who I am in their presence. Cause I've always felt more of the black sheep of the family. And as I grow older, it's just not allowing myself to shrink or shape shift for anyone. 
Why did you feel like you were the black sheep? I was always interested in different things. I wanted to go off to boarding school when I was in ninth grade, the only one in my family who did that. I got into yoga before it was popular. I got into juicing and fasting before it was popular and same with meditation. And my family always kind of were like, okay, Sarah's just stopped doing her thing. (laughs) Now it's easier because everyone's doing all those things. But um, I've always just done things a little bit differently than most. Where do you think that came from? How did you get into all of those things? And did you know you wanted to become a yoga teacher? How did your career after high school and boarding school unfold to where it is now? It all just unfolded really organically. I randomly got a job offer when I was graduating from college to go teach in Thailand. And I went to Thailand. I taught at that school for a year. And then I ended up living in Thailand for nine years. And it was there that I really dove into all of these things. I studied Buddhist meditation and became a more devout student of yoga. I studied Ayurveda and Chinese medicine and worked at a fasting center and all of those things. So I don't, I mean, I honestly don't know. (laughs) I think it's just, I think it's just the path that my soul is on. And I, I just really gravitate towards a more spiritual way of life. Me too. Yeah. That's kind of how I got here. Yeah. I've been dying to talk to you about eating disorders and body image and control. And I know we have similar histories with that. So I would love to know where you are now and what has helped you in those areas. Yeah, it's interesting. I try to, I've had some people, someone reach out to me asking what I've done to heal from my eating disorders. And it wasn't so much, I was anorexic and bulimic. I think the bulimia was harder for me to heal from. And I wrote about that in the book of She. The bulimia, I would say, is like my rock bottom behavior. And so I have learned to not let myself get that low and to start to figure out what are the warning signs that I'm getting that low and to also build my container. Another thing that I think is really powerful about grief is that the pain is there, but the more practiced we are in just being with the pain and surrendering to the pain, becoming the pain, like that's often one of the things that doulas say or midwives say when a woman's giving birth is like, you need to become one with the pain. As we do that more, our vessel gets stronger and it gets bigger. And so I feel like that's what's, I feel like that's the main thing that has helped me to heal over the years is to keep showing up for myself in my meditation practice every day, feeling whatever is here and allowing that capacity, that vessel to get bigger. What do you do when you're not feeling confident in your body or as yourself in in any way? How do you shift? How do you pivot? I connect with my inner little girl because it's, it's the young part of me that is insecure. If I can and get back into bed or get into a comfortable position, I have a teddy bear that comes with me. 
I love that. And that I imagine that that teddy bear is my little girl. And I just, I talk to her and I just say, sweet girl, like, I know that, you know, that you're in pain right now. And I know that you're scared and I'm here and mom is here and I love you. I love you just as you are. And I look into her eyes, which is my eyes. And I see if there's anything else that she needs to say or that I need to say. And again, it's coming back to those values. And like, usually when I feel insecure, it's because I'm aligning with values that aren't mine. And I need to come back to that, that faith in building my life on the foundation that's important to me is, is enough. Mm. Let's go back to talking about romantic relationships a bit and dating and love, because you mentioned before that was kind of your Achilles heel. I'd love to know where you are with that now and what you've learned and what advice you have for someone dating or wanting to be in a relationship and the fears that come with that. I don't know if I'm the best person to talk to about this stuff, but I haven't been dating for the past two years intentionally, really just fully stepped back to strengthen my relationship with God and with myself. And I think for me, I can only speak for me, but where I am right now is I'm really clear about what I am looking for in a partner when I'm ready to start dating again. And I'm not willing to date someone if they don't meet those, those things that I'm looking for, because that's where I have veered away from things in the past where I've said, well, like, oh, they don't have this thing that's important to me, but that's okay. And then I end up going deeper with that person and then falling in love with that person. And one of the things about me that I realized is that I fall in love with someone's soul and not necessarily who they are as a human being. And who they are as a human being is really important. You know, it's like you can't fall in love with someone's potential. You have to fall in love with with their present self. Mm. So there's that piece. And there's also red flags. I ignored red flags. And what I see now is that you really know who someone is within your first moments of meeting them, or if it's online dating within your very first interactions. And so if there's something that is a red flag, you know, like he doesn't call when he says he's going to call, you know, and you haven't even met up yet, then it's just, okay, no, I'm not going to just done. <laughs> like This isn't the right fit for me because that, that's going to be indicative of, of a bigger pattern in the future. That's what I've realized. Thank you. Next. <laughs> yeah. What advice would you have and what helped you through your breakups? Is there any like tenderness or you've kind of talked about a lot of self-care, but anything specifically for that brand of grief? It's such a uh, bittersweet time. And it's really about learning how to be there for yourself and supporting yourself in all the ways that you want to be supported by someone else. I'm not sure how to put it, but it's... No. Um, to keep going deeper in yourself and uh, your relationship to however you experience the divine. 
because ultimately that that really is our primary relationship. And I think one of the reasons why we've become such a love-obsessed culture and really idealizing romantic relationships is because we are so disconnected from the divine. And we need to bring that back to the forefront of our lives, that sense of being in love with life so that we don't put so much pressure on needing to find the one. I don't think that there is like the one. I think there's many ones and every relationship really is an assignment for us to learn something that we came here to learn. Yeah, I I think I'm grieving this person that I love so much and then the jarring aspect of being a, a relationship period and then not and then also wanting to learn as much as I can from this experience so I don't replay these same patterns with the next person again and again. So that's really helpful of giving myself, you know, what I was getting from that relationship. How can I give that to myself? And yeah, I I like that. Let's wrap up with some quick fire questions. So maybe just say the first thing that comes to your mind. Some of them are are longer than others, but I'll warm you up with some easy ones. Cool. Sounds good. Okay. Best thing you've eaten in the last week. I went over to a friend's house to watch the Super Bowl the other day and she made an amazing apple tart. Mm, That sounds delicious. (laughs) Favorite part of your life right now? My morning practice. Favorite place you've ever traveled to? Luang Prabang, Laos. Mm, Cool. How do you handle overwhelm? Do you have any advice for that feeling? Spending a day away from technology, just doing self-care. Nice. What about decision-making or decision fatigue? How do you, do you ever struggle with making decisions or have any advice for decision-making? Yes, I pray. And uh, if it's hard for me to do that in my head, I actually write a letter to God and then let God write me back. Mm. I love that. So I wrote this book about journaling that came out a couple of years ago and, and journaling has been a really helpful thing for me. And I know you're obviously a writer, but do you journal or is writing something that you do and do you have any practices with that? I have been a longtime journaler recently. I, I'm not journaling in the same way that I used to. I'm doing that proprioceptive writing practice in the morning for 25 minutes before I start working on my book. And then at night, I do that kind of review. And one of the prompts that I have used a lot in the evening is like, what am I grateful for from today? What did I, what did I do good today? Even though that's bad grammar. It's the four Gs and one J. What were the glitches? Like what didn't go well? What are my goals for tomorrow? And then what brought me joy? And I just kind of just jot those things down before bed. Oh, I love those. Yeah. I love that so much. I was just writing them down. I want to do it tonight. Yeah. (laughs) How have you become more flexible in your life? I know rigidity is something that keeps me really stuck. Mm -hmm. Any thoughts there? Hmm. Yeah. Rigidity has been one of my controlling and being controlling and rigid has been one of my patterns. I think, I mean, I think that's really part of this initiation I've been in these past few years is like just needing to keep letting go and keep surrendering to the unknown. Yeah. Same. (laughs) And I'm not, I'm not doing that great with it, (laughs) Okay, (laughs) but trying. (laughs) 
I guess, yeah, it's something that I think it's an addiction, right? Like I just transfer addictions of my eating disorder to work and then to control and then back to food and then back to controlling and then back to, you know, it's like constantly just noticing a pattern and trying to shift it. And yeah, it's interesting how those things keep coming up. Yeah. You've written, like I said, two books, you have countless online resources. Is there something in your career you're most proud of? I'm most proud of my perseverance. (laughs) Just like being willing to keep showing up. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. What's your greatest lesson on creativity? It is so healing. Creativity is what heals us. We need to to keep creating. I I really love Frida Kahlo. I have a picture of her on my altar and she's really iconic in that way of how she kept transforming her pain into creations. Yes. I was just thinking about my friend just sent me this New York Times article on her. Did you read that? Came out like I didn't. I last week. That. I'll send it to you. But there's a exhibit at the Brooklyn Museum right now that we're going to uh, go to. And we just saw the ads in the subway. And I was like, I, I want to go to that. And she just sent me this article. And she was such an individual. And that's what they, they this article, I forget what it's, what the headline was, but it was something really catchy about like, she was the first person to make a personal brand. And right. yeah, I'll link to it in the show notes too, but it's fascinating. I think you'd be into it. Cool. Greatest lesson on friendship. Being generous and showing up for people, giving gifts, sending cards, making the phone call, bringing a meal, just to really nurture and show up for friendships. Mm. Yeah. And this is really just a question to recommend art that you love. So I usually frame it like you're trapped on a deserted island and you can only bring one favorite of these things. But really, this is just a way to recommend a recent favorite or an all-time favorite of TV show, film, music, and book that you really love and food that you really love? Okay. Music is tough because I like all different kinds of music. But what I'm really liking right now in music is these healing frequencies, solfeggio healing frequencies. Cool. And it's like frequencies for miracles, for worry, for love, but just bringing those frequencies into the body. Albert Einstein once said that the future of medicine was going to be frequencies. I think that is true. Mm, cool. Very cool. What about film and TV that you like and want to recommend? Right now, I'm totally into Outlander. <laughs> so I would want to keep up with the, the next season of Outlander. And Film, I really love these transformative films of women changing. Like when I was a little girl, I used to watch Working Girl a Mm. lot. And another version of that is The Devil Wears Prada. I like those films about transformation. Cool. Yeah, same. I've actually never seen Working Girl, so I wrote that. Oh, you haven't? Watch, yeah. (laughs) Good. And I've seen The Devil Wears Prada like 1,000 times. Yeah, that's really good. What about book? A book you want to recommend or love? One of my like all-time favorites is Jack Kornfield's A Path with Heart. Mm. That was like one of my first spiritual books ever. And I think it really has the, all the basics in it. Cool. And then what about a food that you love that you want to recommend? It can be like a dish or a restaurant or a recipe or like a fruit or vegetable you're just into or a snack, anything? 
I go through phases, but right now I'm really loving Julian's paleo bread, the one that is oh, the yeah, yeah, yeah. almond and coconut blend and toasting it with avocado. Yeah. Yeah. What about you wrote this wonderful book about really living with the seasons and how do you do that now? And then also, how would you recommend for someone living like me in New York City, any sort of tweaks or ways that we can live more seasonally? I think it's important to acknowledge what season we are in in our lives. So for you right now that you're in a heartbreak, grief season, and to just really be devoted to being in that season, even if others are... Is that winter? <laughs> yeah, and it's just grief, you know, mm-hmm. but it's metaphorically, it would be closer to winter. So acknowledge the season that you're in in your life and just march to the beat of that drum until it's time for it to be a new season. And in the season that you are currently in, you know, I'm in California and there's not really, it's not really winter here, but I'm still like, I love going to sleep early at this time of year because it gets dark earlier and just finding ways that you can bring in more rest, more hibernation, more introspection to really just embrace the lessons of that season. Love that. Well, Oh, one more thing. Do you have a quote or mantra that you can recommend or something that has stuck with you? Right now, I am really embracing anything as possible. My mom would always say that to me. Yeah. As you know, my show is called Let It Out. So is there anything else that you wish I would have asked that you didn't get to talk about that is surprising maybe that you want to let out? Did I ring you dry for... All of your wisdom. (laughs) I really appreciate the questions that you asked in this conversation. And I really, I, you know, Frida Kahlo is really standing out and this motto that anything is possible. I think that what these times are calling for is for us to break out of the mold. And I think as I look at this community of conscious women living in a more conscious way, there's a way that that we're still staying stuck in a mold of everyone kind of being like each other. And I would encourage us all to just keep breaking away from the pack. Like you can stay connected to the pack, but keep breaking away from the pack, keep carving your own, your own way forward and keep having the courage to bring forth who you truly are. Yeah. And that's why Frida was so magnetic and so prolific at creating art and a brand is because she was so herself. And I think, I think Maggie Rogers really speaks to that. Like, I think she's an artist right now of our time that is so herself, you know, she's, she blends what people have done before, but in a totally new way. And she's unapologetically herself. And you can look to anyone who's successful in art and in life and they're authentically unapologetically who they are. And anytime I've struggled has been when I've been a chameleon. And anytime when I've done well, it's been when I've been fearful, but still put out who I, who I am to the world. 
Yeah, it's it's such a simple concept, but it's it's hard to do in practice. And I think that really is the spiritual path. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, this was great. We will link to everything and people can find you and connect with you and read all of your books. I highly recommend them. And let's end how we always do with letting it out together. I think you'll be into this. We end with a deep breath together, letting one out. Oh, so, I like that. <laughs> yeah. And everyone listening can do it with us. So, okay. Ready? Inhale. Exhale. Let it out. <sighs> Let's do one more because grief. <laughs> Inhale. <sighs> All right. That was my episode with Sarah. I hope you learned something, felt something. Tweet at her and at me and let us know what you thought. I would really like that. And before I give you the emoji for this week, likes and learns. One thing I've been liking, this is so silly, but I have a new kerchief from my dear friend and collaborator, Megan, who has a textiles company, and it is just making me so happy. I've been wearing it almost every day, and I want her to link to some of her products that I have and that I like in the show notes so you guys can check out her brand as well. And then something I've been learning, honestly, I got it from this episode with Sarah, which is thinking about your behaviors that you turn to. I think she calls them bottom line behaviors, which might be a 12-step thing. But thinking about when you turn to those behaviors or when I turn to those behaviors, it means there's something I need to feel. And it's probably uncomfortable. (laughs) So I have been doing what she said, which is to lay down in bed and feel what I need to feel. I think I might need to get a teddy bear like she has. So more to come on that. Anyway, I hope you guys have a great week. I will talk to you next week with a brand new episode. And the emoji for this week's episode is the teddy bear. There's got to be a teddy bear. I honestly didn't check. But if not, there's definitely a bear bear. So comment that on my Instagram on the most recent post. I'm weirdly going to Paris next week, you guys. So, or the day you're listening to this tomorrow, I would love to hang out with you. Maybe we can do a meetup in Paris real quick. Let's talk in the listener Facebook group and sign up for my Let It Out letter because I'm going to be sending out another one. And in the Facebook group, let me know what you want to hear more of, what you want to hear less of, what you're liking, what you're not liking. If you're still listening right now, all the way to the bitter end of this episode, might as well leave a review. That would be really cool of you. And it supports the podcast and it would just be great. But honestly, share this episode with anyone you think it could help or would find it entertaining or useful. Please send it to them. I love you guys and hopefully see some of you in Paris, maybe. All right. Bye. This episode is brought to you in part by Cured Nutrition, a holistic supplement company based in Boulder, Colorado. And if you're keen on organic hemp-derived CBD products, you're probably already familiar with them, but they make full-spectrum nibbles and tinctures and treats, and they work with your body's natural system to produce clear benefits without the worry of a psychoactive component. And how many other CBD companies can say that they're making 
in-house farm-to-table products. And CBD is most commonly incorporated into wellness regimens to improve sleep, decrease inflammation, and reduce the body's stress load. And the CEO of Cured actually was using the full-spectrum raw oil with his puppy to ease the distress that the puppy was having after having some seizures. So it's a household staple for people of all ages and even pets too. I love their cookie dough snack. It tastes so good. I really, really love it. I carry one in my bag all the time. And I even got to meet them when I was in Boulder a couple weeks ago. And the people who make these products are lovely. I really think that maybe it makes the products better when the people are great. I don't know if that's true, but it's just something that the theory I'm developing. Anyway, if you're worried about having to jump through a lot of hoops to get cured nutrition products, don't be. They ship directly to you safely to all 50 states. And you can find my favorite products, the cookie dough I mentioned and the dropper of oil at curednutrition.com. That's curednutrition.com. And use the coupon code Let It Out for 15% off any order. And as always, I'll include the link to their site in the show notes. And if you try them out, let me know what you think. Again, the coupon code is let it out for 15% off your order. Thank you, Cured Nutrition.